Let our eyes be open to see you, to hear you, to allow the Holy Spirit to come in. And as we sing this last part, let it be a prayer to you, and not only a prayer, but a praise. Sing, you are a good father. And you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Lord, you are perfect in all your ways. You are perfect in all your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. And all God's people said, you may be seated. Our Father in heaven, giver of all life and author of all things good, we entrust our great nation into your care. For it was you, our good shepherd, whom our founders followed. You are the creator and grantor of our cherished rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all are forged by your loving grace. Guide our leaders in the paths of righteousness and justice. May their service to our nation be honoring to you, and may their decisions reflect your will. Remind us that true happiness is found only in Christ. Protect our men and women who fight for our freedom. Bless your church to shine and drive out the darkness in our cities and remind us that your kingdom is not a red state nor a blue state. Your kingdom is not of this earth. So we plead with you. Bring conviction to our hearts and revival to this land. Send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and come dwell with your people. Today, we honor our Creator, our Lord, our Father. Thank you for your grace and blessings. May you continue to bless our great nation. We pray to you in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. 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 I, I hope that is your prayer, and I hope that has been your prayer. Because this invitation, it's, it's been an amazing gift to us. It's, it's amazing to have been born here. Um, I don't know what life would be like if I was born in another country. I don't know what life would be like for me if my great-great-grandparents hadn't gotten on that wood sailing ship and vomited all the way across the ocean to come to the United States of America. I, I don't know what life would be like. Would I know Jesus? 
Would I live in a country that is void of all proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because we can get pretty hard on our country and where it's going, and we can get pretty worried, and we can get pretty concerned, and we can get pretty fearful. And as we saw the, first, uh, the very first message of this series in the book of Daniel, um, you know, that's where the nation of Israel was. In fact, they didn't even have a country anymore. Um, they were in exile in Babylon. And there may have been great worry and there may have been great concern, but we have seen through the faith of Daniel and some of the other young boys who had been brought over that God was at work. God, God was willing his purpose in the nation of Israel and in the nation of Babylon, in the people there. Um, We have seen miracle after miracle happen, and we have seen the life of Nebuchadnezzar absolutely changed to one who follows Christ. And today, as we come to Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar is gone, dead, his successor is in power, and has been for what, if I recall correctly, about 70 years has transpired from when Nebuchadnezzar was alive until this moment in time right here. And if you would turn to Daniel chapter 5, we're going to get right into it. You know, the title of the message isn't necessarily an encouraging one, right? The handwriting on the wall, whenever we throw that out there, whenever whenever we say, well, the handwriting is on the wall, that generally means... The other shoe is about to fall, right? Um, And it's generally not good. You know, when, when, and I I didn't necessarily care who won, but when the Cleveland Cavaliers were down three to one, everybody in the country said the handwriting is on the wall. It's just a matter of whether it'll be a game or two before the Golden State Warriors win their second NBA championship. And the Cleveland Cavaliers would have none of that. It didn't happen. And, and I would say that when the handwriting is on the wall, it's not over yet. You know, we, I, I think we have come to the conclusion that the age of the American missionary or the world missionary is essentially over. That, that, that everybody has already had an opportunity to hear the gospel and, and why would we want to send out actual real people when everybody, generally speaking, in the middle of Africa has a cell phone and they can hear the gospel on that cell phone. They, they have access to that. We can proclaim to millions and millions of people from one place the good news of the gospel and we, we kind of think that way, I think. I think we also sometimes think, well, how many times should a person have to hear the gospel before, you know, it's been enough? Let's, 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 look, at, uh, let's look at this chapter here. I just want to read it really quickly in case you haven't uh, read through it this week. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles his wives and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. 
And suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to his, these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel? One of the ex- Isn't it interesting that he doesn't know who Daniel is? Are, are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Wasn't he that at one time before? Wasn't he pretty high? Then Daniel answered the king. He said, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets them over them any one he wishes but you belshazzar his son have not humbled yourself though you knew all this instead you have set yourself up against the lord of heaven you had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you and your nobles your wives and your concubines drank wine from them you praised the gods of silver and of bronze, and of gold, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Could be pronounced correctly, I'm not sure. Here is what these words mean. Mene means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. 
Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And then he became the second highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now we enter into the time of the Persians in our historical timeline. And and I want to look at five things. I want to look at five things this morning in your notes very quickly. The first one is this. Belshazzar knew of God. Belshazzar knew of God. He grew up hearing testimonies of God, of the king, of his experience. There is no way he didn't hear stories of the fiery furnace and the savior that came to save those three men. He knew this. He saw Nebuchadnezzar's relationship with God. He saw his king full of pride, full of selfishness. He saw his king go mad, disappear into the wilderness for seven years. He saw his king restored. Yet, he continued to live the way that he did. He saw miracles. Now, we too have seen these things, right? We have seen miracles in our lives. I believe every one of us could look back at the last 10 years, 15 years, 30 years of our life, and we could pinpoint moments in time where we would say that was absolutely of God. There's no way that could have happened unless God was acting on my behalf or on the behalf of someone else. God continues to do miracles. You you look at the history of our country and you think, those people survived. How on earth did that happen? God protected them. God moved them here for a reason, for a purpose. We are here for a reason, for a purpose. There have been miracles of healing and provision in your life in mine. The changing of a man and a woman from, from a prideful, selfish, angry person to one who is forgiving and full of grace and loving. One who would snap at the would fly off the handle in a moment's time, but now you see their heart is different. They've been changed. That's a miracle of salvation in the life of people that we know. People that give, they give sacrificially. Miracles of the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit in the lives of those that are around us and that are in this very room. We have seen, we know of God. We don't have to worry about that. The, the frustrating thing in our country, though, is that people, people that say, well, I, I, I know of God, I know God, and, and they assume that, that that makes them okay, that, that that's all they need to know. But the, but the Bible says that even the demons believe that God exists. Even the, the demons know who God is. They have not surrendered themselves to him, however. King Nebuchadnezzar did. King Belshazzar did not. Now, God gave him opportunity. God gave him opportunity. There were years and years and years of God's patience in the life of Belshazzar. God uh, remained to have a witness in the community. Now, we don't know why Daniel was kind of put on the shelf. Uh, 
In fact, they didn't even think enough of Daniel in this period of time to, to try and catch him on something, to, 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 um, to abuse him. He just sort of fades away into the background, but yet he remains in the country. He was given the story and the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wise, exiled men of Israel. Daniel. Daniel rose to the occasion, however, when he is given the opportunity to stand before the king once again to proclaim the power and the truth of the God of Israel. And I wonder how many of us in this room are rising to the occasion where God has put us, where God has planted us, where God has us poised to bear witness to the kingdom in the lives of those that are around us. We have somebody represented in this room in every aspect of our culture in Wyoming. Everyone. I don't think there is a segment that's not represented here. Age-wise, socioeconomic-wise, political-wise. God has every one of us in the place so when he gives us the opportunity, we can rise to the occasion as Daniel did and we can bear witness to him. And I wonder... I wonder, as we think about those statements that I just made, who might be given the opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel because of you? Because of what you know. Because what Jesus Christ has done in your life. I wonder who those people are. I wonder who those people are. Maybe, maybe it's here. Maybe there's somebody with you today who doesn't know Christ and, and, and you've brought them to church and, and, and they're being exposed to the, to the truth of, of God's word and, and of Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe, it's, maybe they're in another city. Maybe it's a connection that you have with them as part of their family. Maybe God has been prompting you to, to move someplace else. And you've been resisting and you've been resisting. Maybe it's in another country. I mean, I know most of us in this room think, ah, this is where I'm going to live the rest of my life. This is where my roots are. This is it's just where I am from, right? And I will always be from here. Well, that's not been true for me. However, I have now lived more than half my life in this place. It doesn't mean that I'm going to live the rest of my life in this place. If God wants to send me someplace else, he's gonna, I, I need to say, okay, where is it that you want me to go? Maybe God has been prompting you. Uh, wouldn't it be awesome if, if we raised up six, a dozen, two dozen missionaries, more missionaries from the people that are right here in this room to go to the world and preach the good news of the gospel, to go to another town, another place where there's not a strong witness. Maybe it's planting a church someplace else in Wyoming. We're praying about that. Maybe it's reaching an unreached people group in the world. We're praying about that. I have the name of one on my desk right now. But Belshazzar's heart was hard to the Lord. In fact, even to the things of God. 
Nebuchadnezzar didn't even defile the things of the temple. Belshazzar did. There are those in the world that make that decision. They harden their hearts. They refuse to listen. But how many are in our world today who are just waiting for that person to speak the truth about Jesus Christ to them and explain to them who he is? There are many in our world who have never heard. They're referred to as UUPGs. I'm going to explain that in just a little bit. So, so Belshazzar knew of God. God gave him the opportunity, but Belshazzar went to hell in his unbelief. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. It's death. And sometimes we forget that in our comfortable or our not very comfortable American lives. We're just trying to make it to the end of the month. We're just trying to make the house payment. We're just trying to make the car payment. We're just trying to keep the kids in line. And we stop short of thinking, what about all of those people around me that don't know Jesus? What am I doing about that? Acts 4, 11, and 12, Jesus says this, The stone you builders rejected, which is himself, which has become the cornerstone, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must save, that of Jesus Christ. And the handwriting is on the wall. It was for Belshazzar. And in God's perfection and sovereignty and wisdom, he had given him the time that he wanted to give him, and it was over. And I wonder, could the handwriting be on the wall for our country? Have our leaders in Washington, D.C. seen the handwriting on the wall, and instead of fear and trembling, there's pride, and, and, and I'm not going to change? I don't know the answer to that question. But should we fear? No. We shouldn't fear about that. God is in control. All the time God is in control. Should we worry that God has lost control? No, of course not. We trust and we pray and we proclaim. We pray for our leaders, for our politicians, for our future president that the Lord is going to put in place. And that everyone, ourselves included, of course, will turn and repent. And that the Lord God will heal our land. So, if the handwriting is on the wall, we got to get moving. We got to get after it. We got to proclaim the truth. We got to love people. Not just sit in our homes and worry about ourselves and our families, which we need to do those things. But are we looking first to the kingdom? we got to take the gates of hell. You know, the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, instead of being a part of bank security, we need to be a part of the army of God. And we need to march.
We need to go forward. You know, if, and, and if I, Keith, you know, a lot of people say that they, that they never remember graduation addresses from speakers. Not true. I think about it often because we often are in situations where we struggle in life. And, and Keith said to the graduates of, of 2016, you're going to fall, you're going to fail, and when you do, fall forward. Fall forward. And I say fall for Christ. Fall for Jesus. The handwriting, you see, the handwriting is on the wall for many across our world. Many, many, many won't take another breath today. They will die. They will not live to the end of today. Have they heard about the name of Jesus Christ? And if not, what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? You see, Matthew 9, 35 through 38 says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We have so many people in our world today who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There are people in your life who fit into that category. They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he says this to the disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful. There are people all over who are just waiting to hear the good news of the gospel, to respond to it, to believe in it. It's the workers that we're short on. God is drawing people to him, and and, and he says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I pray that. I I have seen, uh, we heard a message from our president of Converge Worldwide this this last weekend, and the 10-year plan for for Converge Worldwide is amazing. It is God-honoring. It's biblically centered. And, and, And we are all in. And, and I will, in the coming months, be, be talking about that and what that is and our part in that. Here's, here's the question that I want you to ask. It's point number five in your notes this morning. If not me, then who? If not me, then who? There are, they, had, they, had these, uh, they had these banners at the conference, and they were 100 gateway cities in the world that are unreached, unreached people groups. There are 6,600 unreached people groups in the world. And I forget what, what the parameters of an unreached people group are. It has to do with population and percent of, of Christian. And I think it's less than 5%, less than 2%. 6,000, would you even have thought that? There are 6,600 people groups on the planet, who are unreached. You know, I don't have time to go into it, but, but Jesus says to the disciples, you know, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, etc., 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 but that's not going to be the end. And then there's this and this, and that's not going to be the end. The end is going to come when all have heard. There are 6,000. If we want to go to heaven soon, we need to get after this. 
6,600 unreached people groups. And in those people groups, there are 1,661 UUPGs. And a UUPG is an unreached or unengaged people group. And, and the parameters for that is it, it's a people group with a population of at least 5,000 people and not a church, not a Christian witness in the place. 1,661. One of them is sitting on my desk right now. We're going to be praying about that people group. What are we going to do to reach that people group? It's in Indonesia. What are we going to do to get a witness into their midst? Maybe it's one of us here. Maybe we actually provide the witness. Maybe we provide the funds. we, We definitely provide the prayer support. Please be praying about that with me. See, in Acts 1.8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem. That's across the street. That's in your neighborhood. That's at your job. In Judea, that's across our city or our county or our state. And, and something I'd, I've, I'd always thrown Judea and Samaria together until this week. And, and as I think about it, I think he's right. What was Samaria to, the, to Israel? It was a place you didn't go to. If you had to go from one place to another and it went through some Samaria, you took the long way around. You didn't choose the shortest route on your GPS. You chose the one that said, add four days. You went around Samaria. So Samaria was a place where they, they was completely out of their comfort zone. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. Maybe you have engaged in praying for Muslims through this, this 30 days of Ramadan, and, and it took all you had to put away your prejudice and your, your preconceived ideas about and your overgeneralizations of all of those people to just pray that God would save them. That is Samaria. And to the ends of the earth, around the world, the UPGs, the UUPGs. And an important part in that passage right there is the word And. It doesn't say Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or to the ends of the earth. We are to engage all of them. And we have opportunities to do that. The crazy thing is, is we have this gift of salvation that we've all experienced. I hope that this morning as you sit here and you think about our country and, 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 and we're getting ready to celebrate its it's, uh, it's birthday tomorrow, and as you think about what life is like for you and the blessings that you have, I, I, I sure hope that, that, that celebrating and thanking Jesus Christ for saving you and forgiving you is at the top of that list. What, uh, what an appropriate thing that we're here this morning um, celebrating. Something that Jesus said that we're to do regularly. That we're to remember that we're to remember that, that Jesus Christ came and he took on our sin. And, and sometimes we think, well, how could Jesus forgive that person? Or how could Jesus forgive me for this? Well, he did. And, and he didn't do that by sweeping our sin and the pain that that causes under the rug. He did that by taking it upon himself. 
You see the shame and the betrayal that you feel when somebody else treats you a certain way? Jesus took that on himself from you and from me. He bore all of that, and because he did, we have peace. We can have peace. We can have forgiveness in our life because of the blood that he shed. And uh, if I could have the worship team come up here and... um, You see, this communion table right here represents the message that we are called to proclaim to the world. And I hope that what I've done this morning is maybe expanded our mind and our thinking a little bit outside of Lingle and Torrington and, and maybe into the rest of the world. And, and I hope that we will rise to the occasion as Daniel did, that, that we will go where he calls us to go. That we will stay true and faithful to to him no matter what kind of situations we're put in. We're going to see that next week in chapter 6. But I want us to take these next few moments, this next five to ten minutes this morning. And I want you to... I want you to focus on the fact that no matter where our country is, no matter where you are in your life, no matter what's going on outside of here, that Jesus Christ bore all of that pain on a cross for you. That his body was broken, and that's what this bread represents here this morning. And Jesus, when he was with his disciples that last time, he took the bread and he broke it. And he says, eat. He said, do this until I return. And so we do. And he took the cup. He passed a cup around. He says, guys, this represents the blood that I'm going to shed for you. drink this until I return and that's what we're going to do we're going to celebrate this until he returns if that's next week if that's in 50 years and I'm not here and someone else is standing here leading a whole new group of people I pray it's our children and their children as they look forward to the return and as they go and proclaim and witness so this morning with peace in our hearts and joy for the forgiveness that he gives us let's partake of communion let's celebrate and let's ask the question God is there someone in this world who has not taken communion yet because they've not yet believed that you want to use me in their life that they might one day experience the grace and peace that I do let's answer the call if the servers would come forward Lord Jesus thank you for this reminder thank you for your grace and your mercy Lord you are the only perfect one not me no one not one 
and you provide this to remind us. And I pray, Lord, this morning that it would be just that. It would be a reminder we would worship you. Hold your name high. And God, that this church, this army of God, would be one that we already support missionaries all over the world, Lord, but thousands of people groups, millions of people haven't even heard the name of Jesus. May you raise us up to bear witness in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.